Hello, Bridget. Hi, Ziggy. May I walk you to your next class? I don't know. We gotta do something about the way you look. There. That's a lot better. Now, can we do something about the way you talk? If the Breakfast Club and Can't Buy Me Love had a baby, you'd kind of get this movie? We're still up all night, and this episode, we watched Hot Times at Montclair High. Hello, everybody, and welcome to USA Up All Night with me, Rhonda. Hi, I'm Gilbert Godfrey, the comedian in the cupboard for USA Up All Night. In this movie, you'll see two of your favorite stars. Now, if you drink enough beer, you'll start seeing more of your favorite stars. Stay with me on USA Up All Night. Welcome to Still Up All Night, our one-year anniversary super radical bodacious show. If this is your first episode, welcome. You're just one year late to the party that celebrates the films of USA's Up All Night series. I'm Travis Yates, joined by my BFFY, my best friend for a year, Rob Katie. Rob, happy one-year anniversary to us. Oh, man, I would have got you a gift if I'd even realized it had been a year already. How rude. Yes. Yeah, one year just flew by. I mean, I guess time flies when you're watching bad movies, right? Well, and trapped in COVID, too. Yeah, that'll that'll make time uh, fly, I guess. Uh, at least we've got something exciting to do each month while we're trapped in COVID. Uh, so true. Last episode, we veered away from the traditional USA Up All Night film with Can't Buy Me Love, a film that aired on several USA Up All Night Christmas episodes. And despite that, Rob... The people have spoken, and they've sided with you. <laughs> now, I made the argument that Can't Buy Me Love should be considered a holiday movie because of the key scenes that occur during the holidays. You said, I'm not buying it, and neither was our audience. Uh, Rob, it pains me to say that 83% of our Twitter poll agreed with you, just 17% agreeing with me. I'll concede that not everyone considers it a holiday movie, though I always will for the many reasons I gave last episode. Wow, it feels good to have such a landslide victory. I'm not going to lie. Jeez, you got to rub <laughs> it in. That's... Okay. Um, this week, uh, for our one-year super radical bodacious show, uh, we return to the zany comedy more suitable for the USA Up All Night series with 1989's Hot Times at Montclair High. Rob, did you have any memories of this film heading into the episode? None whatsoever. And even when I, I jumped into the research, I, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever even heard of this movie at all. So, yeah, never saw it during Up All Night and never saw anything to do with it in the time since. I had no memories of it either. And really, it was the blatant ripoff uh, <laughs> of Fast Times at Richmond High that that caught my eye for it, and uh, I thought, well, this sounds interesting. And then I, I read the synopsis in, in for this month's selection and thought, okay, this sounds pretty crazy. Let's let's check this out and see what it's all about. Um, a little bit about the movie. It's not a surprise that this film is so obscure. Rob, it doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. And, I mean, if you don't have a Wikipedia page these days, you don't exist, right? <laughs> yes. uh, which reminds me, I still need to create the Wikipedia page for Still Up All Night. So, 
Little. So I can populate it with all sorts of um, half-truths. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, very little research was available on this film. Hot Times at Montclair High was produced by Vestmark Pictures, a new name here on Still Up All Night. It's also the last time we'll hear it. Rob, <laughs> this is the only film credited to either Vestmark Productions or Vestmark Entertainment. Well, I mean... Come the end of our discussion, we'll all know why. That'll be abundantly clear. Yes. But uh, that, that does surprise me, though. It, uh, not, no surprise that it also did not receive a theatrical release, so no Academy Awards awaiting this film. <laughs> it was released, released straight to video on November 8th, 1989. It debuted on USA Up All Night on December 7th, 1990, as the second of the show's triple feature. Rob, here's why I'm amazed that neither of us remember this film. Hot Times at Montclair High would appear nine more times on Up All Night, on Up All Night between its debut and its final appearance on November 20th, 1993. Ten times total in just under three years. Wow. That, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of a shocking statistic to hear considering neither of us has a single memory of right. this. For the many reasons that we'll discuss here coming up, um, I'm still a little surprised this hasn't become a cult classic, just like so many other USA Up All Night films, just simply for the quantity of times that it was shown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there it's certainly, in, in the research I, I did, has its fans out there. Um, it just seems to be very much one of the, the lesser-known movies that, that aired. Yeah. So the film is directed by Jose Altanaga, who has an interesting filmography. He's done a little bit of everything from casting to editing. As a director, he took seemingly a near 30-year hiatus from directing this feature film and directing his next feature, the made-for-TV movie Take It From the Top, which I found no information on, and then the 2020 horror film Reawakened, which was straight to video, and a couple sidebars here i'm not even sure what to call these anymore because video stores don't exist anymore but we still see this we still use the straight to video moniker um you know really it should be straight to stream to differentiate between the video and streaming eras right yeah absolutely but you know in television we still use the the term uh you know roll tape even though we're all digital so um you know, are asking, hey, did old you... habits die hard? Yes, I guess. yes. Uh, I guess it's uh, those last vestiges of, of pop culture artifacts that are that are from bygone eras. But we digress. Uh, Reawakened is available on Amazon Prime. Rob, you are the resident horror expert. Have you seen or heard of uh, Jose Altanaga's Reawakened? I have not. I, I saw the image uh, when I looked that up, but uh, nothing familiar about it. All right, so I'm giving you homework on our one-year Super Radical Bodacious show here. To Between now and next episode, you need to squeeze in Reawakened. And, <laughs> oh, no. um, and, then, and then next episode, let us know what you think. Oh, man, do I really have to? <laughs> you do. You do. <laughs> um, so the mystery of this obscure comedy continues there's nary a review out there i mean most of the searches that had reviews of this film were dead sites i mean come on geocities you gotta get those sites <laughs> cached for us to access yeah i had i had a similar problem and and what little 
nuggets I was able to find were on like uh, message boards that were still you know, happened to be alive. Right. Um, you know, we often in in our films see a ton of you know that guy and that gal among the stars. Boy, you really you don't see even much of that in this. Uh, let's let's talk briefly about the the people that are in the film. So Ross Hamilton plays Sean Willis, our high school quarterback jock. He yep. has three fil- feature films to his credit from the '80s and early '90s: Hot Times at Montclair High, Shock 'Em Dead, and Please Don't Eat the Babies. Oh, jeez. So we. <laughs> We talk a lot about our beloved Scream Queens on Still Up All Night, and though Hamilton isn't well-known, this filmography has to make him just the mayor of Kitchtown, uh, just by the names alone, am I right? Oh, absolutely, and, and I want to say Shock'em Dead could be familiar to me. Uh, it just could be one of those movies I'm, I may have seen but never knew its name or anything like that. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the IMDb for it now. Um, yeah, it's possible I saw that, but certainly don't remember much about it. Yeah, we'll have to check that. We'll have to check the Up All Night database to see if it's in there. But sadly, Rob, I did check the database to see, but Please Don't Eat the Babies never aired on USA Up All Night. So despite <laughs> the crazy name, we can't feature it on a future episode. Uh, I'm so upset I may not be able to continue this episode. <laughs> Pull it together. It's a one-year super radical bodacious show. you got to keep it together. Jo- oh, sorry. <laughs> Jonathan Gorman plays the nerdy Ziggy Karpinski, and this movie was actually Gorman's acting debut. He followed it up with a bunch of television appearances, including Matlock and Murder, She Wrote, as well as a lot of short film appearances. Uh, he also has quite a few uh, writer, director, editing credits to his name on some short films and a documentary he wrote and directed called Mike's Run, Find Your Normal. And in 2015, Rob, Gorman opened an actor's studio in Indianapolis, Indiana called the Indie Actor's Studio. So a pretty clever play on words there. Oh, yeah. And uh, quite the renaissance man here for Jonathan Gorman, who really... We'll talk a little bit more about his character as as, as we yeah, break yeah. down the film. Totally unfamiliar to me. I, I don't recognize anything in his IMDb or him, uh, you know, just as a, a human being. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like I said, when we say there's, oh, it's that guy and that gal. No, not so much. Not in this, not in this film. <laughs> yeah. And there, there were, were two people that, that looked familiar enough to me and, and, and I couldn't figure it out until I looked at their IMDb and, mm-hmm. And made the connection, but yeah, it was was very much a um, at first glance just unrecognizable cast to me. So Brent Jasmer plays Jason Miller, our uh, our hood, uh, our earring wearing, leather jacket clad, yeah. you know, hoodlum. Uh, he went on to appear in several TV series as well as one off appear, mostly one off appearances, but most importantly, Rob, he appeared in 1990s uh, Lene Quigley's horror workout <laughs> video. And the plot is described as, after a nice shower, Lene does some warm-up stretches and then goes for a run. She encounters some flabby zombies who follow her back to the house, where she leads them in some poolside aerobic routines. Later, she unwinds by inviting some girlfriends over for a slumber party and some exercise. When something goes bump in the house, her friends begin experiencing an attrition problem. Have you seen Lene Quigley's horror workout video, Rob? 
I have not. You know, I, I saw that and immediately clicked, and uh, I've not seen it. But I did note he was also in Leprechaun 4, oh. the one where they're in space, which I have seen. Oh, yes. the, the Clearly the best one. I mean, anytime <laughs> it's in space. Jason is in space. Hor- yeah. yeah, Leprechaun's in space. There you go. That's a, that's a winning... Uh, formula Combo, right there yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so we might have to get our hands on this and put it on our uh, on our youtube page i i could imagine the subscriber list going up to, into the millions <laughs> once we once we track this thing down so skyrocket yeah uh, okay kim valentine who plays jenny rush uh she's our kind of damsel in distress throughout the whole movie uh she made the tv and low budget film circuit in the 80s and early 90s her tv appearances include mr belvedere general hospital 21 jump street growing pains and family matters and again just like our other stars from this film they were you know one-off guest appearances no recurring appearances but some big-time shows at the time, definitely. Uh, after a long break, she reappeared in the 2002 movie Dot Com for Murder, a horror sci-fi thriller that also starred, of all people, Roger Daltrey from The Who and Huey Lewis. Um, really? Rob, I'm unfamiliar with Dot Com <laughs> for Murder. Again, more up your alley. Have you heard or seen this movie? I do not think so. I'm looking at the... the you know, the image on IMDb now, and that's not familiar to me. This is a, um, if we ever venture outside of the USA Up All Night series, you know, maybe we do a double feature of Dot Com for Murder and Please Don't Eat the Babies, because boy, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're missing the boat here on these. Well, I do have to say that Kim Valentine also, and this connects to uh, something we shared earlier today, she was in Parker Lewis Can't Lose, a couple episodes of that, as well as, and I don't know if you remember this, there was a werewolf television series about, believe it or not, a werewolf <laughs> um, that is is uh, one of the sort of, in my eyes, a, a lost TV gem that, you know, is difficult to find now and, uh, you know, sel- I seldom encounter anyone who's ever seen it, but uh, my sister and I loved it growing up. Uh, was that maybe inspired by uh, the film? Gosh, what was it? Episode two or three of My, My Mom's, Mom's a, a Werewolf? werewolf? It, it may have been. I mean, that was Although the Teen Wolf era, so like werewolves were just it, all the rage apparently in the late '80s. It is played much more seriously than than those movies. These werewolves are gigantic and monstrous. And gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the most notable cast member from Hot Times at Montclair High is Troy Donahue as Principal Nichols, and he has more than 100 films to his credit. And you know, he was actually a Hollywood heartthrob in his 20s and 30s. His big break came when he starred in Warner Brothers' 1959 film A Summer Place. He was vying for roles in Hollywood, competing against stars like Warren Beatty. So, I mean, he was a big, big-time guy back in the day. And uh, after a successful decade, Donahue hit a rough patch, declaring bankruptcy and began abusing drugs and alcohol in the 70s. You know, he seemed to struggle with his boy-next-door typecast in the kind of new-wave cinema of the 70s that featured more gritty characters. And he left Hollywood for New York, and despite a few roles here and there, he actually ended up homeless for a while and lived for a summer out of a backpack in Central Park. Uh, so quite the rise and fall. Uh, he was cast in a small role in The Godfather 2 as Merle Johnson, fiancé of Connie Corleone. 
And that seemed to reignite his career. He moved back to Hollywood. He acted in indie films and made some television appearances. He got sober in 1982. And um, he would continue acting through the 80s and 90s, appearing in Grandview, USA, alongside Jamie Lee Curtis and Patrick Swayze, Cry Baby with Johnny Depp, and Wait For It, Rob, Shock 'em Dead with Ross Hamilton. <laughs> Literally, just as you were about to say that, I noticed the movie on the on the list. Uh, so Donahue died of a heart attack in 2001 at the age of 65, just a year after his final role. So he was working up to the very end and kind of a, a John Saxon-esque role here, um, you know, kind of st- getting some, some roles kind of maybe after his heyday and how long after, in this case, his heydays in Hollywood. Well, it's it's clear too that there's just a, a in the movie a different level of acting coming from him uh, relative to the entire rest of the cast. Even though he's his role's fairly limited, but uh, yeah, that explains all that. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So, any other takes on our on our stars here? Any other notes that you've got on, on our um, very unknown cast outside of uh, outside of Donahue? No, that was that pretty much. Other, other than finding it interesting that um, the Kim Anderson, who is is featured on the cover image, had you know probably the least amount of you know FaceTime in the movie relative to pretty much the the rest of the cast. Yet she is you know featured on the cover. You know the the poster and the you know VHS tape and all that. Yeah, uh, she plays Bridget Amherst, and she's more of a plot device in the film. And we'll, yes. we'll get to her in just a second because let's let's just dive into the film, then, shall we? Because absolutely, uh, we start with a hot pink and white title card screen with a generic '80s rock music overlaid. Okay, this looks like a PBS After School special uh, to me. <laughs> And, uh, well, it did more than look like that. I mean, I, I literally have a note that this movie is like one quarter after school special. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, this opening song, I mean, I got a Motley Crue girls, girls, girls feel from from that opening title track. What did you make of that of that song? Oh, uh, you know, as we indicated uh, before we got going here, it brings us back to some of the earlier movies we discussed where you've got just the on the nose rock anthem you know that's either using the title or parts of the title in the song or completely describing exactly (laughs) what you're watching (laughs) during the scene yeah so i was happy to to return to that but i do have to say i I thought the the songs in this movie were awful awfully awfully bad but awfully good i thought for i mean if you (laughs) listen to so much of that you know go back to 80s rock that we rocked out to and you're like oh it's kind of cringeworthy now um, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was good and such a cheesy just. And then you've got your Motley Crue songs, and then you've got a ripoff band of Motley Crue, which yeah. makes it even better. Um, so the opening sequence is something that we've seen before. It's every '80s teen cliche um, in a montage, but I feel like it's kind of you know this is the teen world seen through the adult's eyes. You know, it's like you've got the jock combing his feathered hair, uh, the nerdy girl stuffing her bra. Uh, well, not nerdy, but uh, as we'd learn, uh, learn kind of the the easy girl, shall we say, the promiscuous yeah. girl stuffing her bra, uh, the hot girl in the skin tight pink dress, putting lipstick on in a provocative manner, the bad boy with the earring, of course, and then the nerd 
super excited about his bow tie and big frame glasses. Um, it's just amazing how tried and true these tropes are for the entire <laughs> decade. Well, the best part, too, is, is in the next scene when we cut to them in the classroom, they felt the need to literally revisit each stereotype that they just yeah. laid out in the opening montage. Like, hey, remember 10 seconds ago when you showed you how nerdy he was? Look, here he is being nerdy again. I don't think a movie's ever emphasized one character being nerdy the way they do with <laughs> Ziggy Karpinski. And, I mean, just shameful. And, yeah, I mean, think of Revenge of the Nerds and then put it on steroids and then yeah. roll them all up into one, all the nerds into one, and you get Ziggy Karpinski. But, it, but at least to Revenge of the Nerds credit, uh, you know, this falls in the, the other trope of he's clearly not a bad looking dude. Right. They've just put glasses on and put him in a dorky outfit and combed his hair funny. You right. know, it's like all those uh, Pygmalion ripoff movies where it's clearly, you know, a very attractive woman that they've just, oh, put overalls on her and glasses and she's ugly. It's, a, it's a, She's all that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And they jump the shark. We'll get to that in a minute. They jump the shark on his non-nerdiness, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, that, that opening homeroom scene, it's the first day of senior year in homeroom and just this is hilarious the way the characters who we all we just met are reintroduced to us. The homeroom teacher starts taking role and he just only calls on our main characters. He starts with the A's yeah. <laughs> and calls on Bridget Amherst, and then skips right to K and calls on Karpinski, then skips to M and calls on Jason Miller, then to R gets Jenny Rush, and finally W for Sean Willis. You know, mind you, there's a class of about 20 kids, and these just happen to be, you know, our main characters in the film. And, um, you know, we, get, we, we know from the get-go that the screenwriter just doesn't have any time for clever ways to introduce his characters. We're just going to pretend they're the only ones in class. Absolutely. Uh, we, I, I got a real Breakfast Club feel here, too, Rob, with our characters from all the different cliques and social stratospheres. And then Sean and Jason. Sean is the jock and Jason's the, 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 the hoodlum. Just complete ripoffs of Andrew and Bender. Uh, yeah, I agreed. That was the exact vibe I got that, you know, it's like we'll, we'll take the name from Fast Times at Ridgemont High and right. then we'll take the characters <laughs> from that. And, yeah, we'll just go our own way. But, um, yeah, I very much got that vibe as well. I mean, even if you look at the way uh, Sean Willis is dressed, he's got the same blue and white, uh, um, you know, d d coat uh, that – that Andrew wears and he, the actor looks just like Emilio Estevez. I mean, it's hilarious. He does, yeah. Yeah. And well, and they all end up in detention with yeah. the, the hard ass teacher. Right. So. Yep. So that's where I was going next. The, the, the next scene, um, Andrew and Bender, well, I'm sorry. I mean, Sean and Jason, I get confused, <laughs> get into a little <laughs> scuffle at lunch after poor Karpinski is pushed into one and then pushed into the other. Uh, the a teacher comes and breaks it up and asks who started it. And Karpinski takes the fall here saying, oh, he bumped into both of them. And then all three of them get detention. So like you said, there's your continued Breakfast Club ripoff. Yeah, how uh, do we bring our main characters together? And right. There you go. But they, in detention. And you'd think, okay, you're setting up here. They're going to all become friends here. But wait, no, not so fast. Um, so the next scene is at a nightclub called The Bomb Shelter. And I'll say this. This looks like a fun place. Um, it looks like it's in a warehouse of sorts. It's got a big dance floor, a uh, huge stage for a classic 80s you know, rock band. Uh, but the song that they're playing, 
goes on way too long with cinematography that looks like a music video highlighting the band. I mean, it's almost as if they thought, hey, this this might be a really big hit and we'll shoot a music <laughs> video that we can pull out of this straight from the movie and drop it onto MTV. Well, that, that goes to my classification of the movie. Another quarter of the movie is band promotion because <laughs> they each time the band comes on, they play an entire song. And as you just indicated, it's filmed like a music video where they're showing the band and queuing in on the, the lead singer and then cutting to people clearly enjoying the tune and dancing. And yeah, and it goes for the entire like three minute runtime of the song. I'm loving your formula so far. You're spot on. Um, yeah, yeah, really weird uh, switch there, the way the, the cinematography just changed completely. Um, we're getting a lot of exposition here in the next couple scenes. Well, I guess quickly, narratively, uh, Jenny and Sue, her friend Susan uh, approach the band after the concert or on their way out, and, and they get invited to a party that next Saturday night. And they're like, ah, oh, we'll see. Jenny doesn't want any of it. Jenny and Sean are dating, as we learn. Um, uh, the exposition in the next couple scenes, that's when we start to learn. So we learn that Sean and Jenny are a serious couple. Uh, Jason's dad, he's a real a-hole. Uh, he's yeah, a drunk. Abusive. and yep. uh, Yeah. yeah that's, get, when, that's when we introduce some of the uh, classic 80s um, <laughs> tropes of, uh, yeah, where we dip definitely into uh, a heavy dose of racism in the movie, but but also homophobia. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah. He, his dad gives him a hard time because his face is bruised after his fight with Sean. His dad yells, I didn't raise no sissy, uh, among other things that he says that, that we won't repeat here on this podcast. But, uh, yeah, some uncomfortable moments there that, again, is this an after-school special here? Because yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a teen comedy. It's supposed to be, anyway, uh, at least if, if we're judging by the cover and, uh, and the tagline. So we find out that Dirk from the band at the bomb shelter is a drug dealer. Um, which is weird after he was featured as, you know, this kind of up and coming pop star, uh, or yeah. rock star. Um, uh, and he's a ruthless one at that. Um, he, he shows up to a drug deal, uh, and, uh, the other party tries to short him and he apparently kills them. Uh, that's what I got it, uh, from that scene, Rob, that escalated quickly. He went from like an eighties rock video star to Miami vice villain in less than 10 minutes. Um, and then this hood that, that apparently deals drugs at Montclair High named Rick is with Dirk at this drug deal, but told to stay in the car. And then when Dirk comes back out, Rick asks what happened inside. And Dirk says, let's just say, don't ever cross me. And so that's what led me to believe that he killed the guys inside. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to make of that scene because he said that. And I was like, wait, that that guy wasn't inside. He doesn't know what happened in there. Like. Is that a threat to him that he should be aware of? And he just appears out of nowhere. Like, we don't know who that guy is. There's no introduction. Nope. We don't know his name. We don't know that he's a high school student yet. Okay. Um, okay, I love the next scene. We're introduced to the science teacher, Miss Hershey, who's dressed like she's ready to hit the town. She's, <laughs> she's not dressed uh, anywhere appropriate for being a teacher. <laughs> It, she calls on Karpinski to come up and be a part of the demonstration discussing the skeleton. And you see where this is going. She starts touching him all over, describing where the different bones are. And we go into a daydream sequence where Karpinski is imagining Miss Hershey stripping down to her negligee. Uh, and in the dream sequence, 
Karpinski's a total hunk, which is hilarious yeah. <laughs> because just the way he sees himself in his in his own dream sequence. But then it also, like I said, jumps the shark, which we'll get to a little bit later. Why it's important that uh, you know seeing him in that hunk role now kind of spoils what we're going to see later. Um, well, the classic trope too of of their science teacher when could be any teacher just being an obviously very attractive woman right that you know he's completely head over heels for and yeah has uh, we end up with a a few daydream sequences involving him and his teacher yeah i I thought it was actually going to go further i expected like uh you know for him to be like really excited standing in front of the whole class that sort of thing Um, yeah it was like the the perfect opportunity for you know the boner joke yep as he returns to his seat and and they didn't they didn't follow through entirely yeah that's where we're sort of i thought too it would be the um i guess the the classic teen sex comedy opportunity for you know just random nudity as these movies are, are known for and and she uh Stayed tastefully clothed in her uh, lingerie. (laughs) Uh, So uh, Miss Hershey shakes, uh, has to shake Karpinski to like bring him to in front of the whole class and everybody laughs at him. And so then we get this like weird five second cutaway back to Dirk in his car telling Rick that he owes Dirk money and needs to pay up. And then that's it. We're like immediately back to the school. (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of, of really abrupt jumps to a random scene to just jump back to school yeah uh yeah and from from that scene we were supposed to infer that now you know his hooligans are going to have to shake down the entire school for drug money that they're owed uh as as that the fallout that's what happens but it's certainly not clear from that scene it's almost as if and and again because of the lack of research available on this film we're not sure but it's almost like you know they started with one kind of story and then maybe started adding stuff on it as they went along, you know, and the, uh, they might have thought, oh, let's actually, like, let's make Dirk a drug dealer. And because, and, you know, later we'll see him on a real fancy yacht, but where does he get his money? So let's make him a drug <laughs> dealer. And, and then they had to, like, insert all these, try to make it all work together. That's the only thing that I can think of. You know, this is a technique in filmmaking called cross-cutting, and it's used to show events happening simultaneously in two different locations. And they're typically related in some shape or form and that's why the way it's used here is so confusing because that that quick cutaway to show this scene just made no sense in the larger context of the film itself yeah i I sort of attributed it to to bad editing like maybe the movie was originally longer and you know they had to chunk scenes out to to shorten it up and so we lost like valuable information and all those cuts uh, Who knows? Yeah, uh, a few scenes later, uh, Dirk's high school dealer Rick uh, accosts somebody in the bathroom of the school, trying to get the money owed for what the cocaine that he sold him. That seems to be the, what they're the stuff. The stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's never directly referenced what types of drugs they are, but it's always these little white powder in a bag. You see, you assume it's cocaine, and you see it basically, you know, cut up on on certain surfaces. So, Sean comes in and busts things up, followed by. Principal Nichols, we finally get Troy Donahue in such a letdown because Principal Nichols just lets the kids all leave in the bathroom, <laughs> even though there's like clearly something happening uh, when he walks in. He doesn't question him. He does notice the bag of cocaine that fell out of one of the kids' pockets. So, uh, you know, setting that up. Um, and it's funny that what it does set up is how does he address it is he... <laughs> 
invites a school newspaper writer to his office to do an article yeah. that says the, he will not put up with any type of drug abuse in his school. He also this also establishes that the writer is a hot blonde and he's checking out her legs. So creepy, Principal yeah. Nichols. <laughs> Which we, we circle back to later as well with the, the photographs. But um, yeah, yeah, that's our, our brief introduction. And he handles it. Uh, yeah, and the only way a principal knows how, go to the school newspaper. Yes, that's right. Uh, we get another daydream sequence from Karpinski. This time they're taking a test in science class. Uh, the reason we keep seeing science class and, and almost that's it, there's one other class we see, is uh, this is kind of a MacGuffin for Sean. He, he has to pass science class both to stay eligible for football and he's trying to get a scholarship to Florida or Florida State. He, he references both colleges uh, at one point. And uh, so he has to pass science if he doesn't do well in science. So it just uh, keeps getting raised. So that's why we keep seeing this Hershey's science class. Um, and uh, Karpinski finishes his test first, and then he just stops and starts staring at Miss Hershey. You know, there's so much of the male gaze happening in this in this <laughs> yeah. film. It's really bad. He starts imagining that Miss Hershey, she's now dressed in a red negligee. She climbs on top of him on one of the science tables and has her way with him while the whole class just cheers on. It's really awkward, I thought. Uh, and Miss Hershey snaps Karpinski out of it by yelling at him when he's now on the floor. Like yeah, asleep I fell asleep, yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, you know, everybody laughs, but I'm Rob, I'm not sure what we're kind of getting at here. We've established from the first time we see him that he's completely a dork. I mean, what are you thinking at this point in the film about these, you know, running gags with Karpinski and his daydreams? Well, you know, just on the nature of these movies, I'm thinking at some point that will become a reality. He'll end up with the teacher. Right. Is where I think it's headed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, we go someplace else instead. <laughs> it but, makes uh... <laughs> makes sense. Uh, let's, let's see if we get the payoff. Okay, we're about a half hour into the movie, Rob, at this point. There's no plot. And despite being uh, promised hot times in the title, the only thing that's come close to that is some awkward teen fantasy scenes in science class. Uh, Where did you think the movie was going at this point? I I had no idea. I mean, I I knew somehow the the drug thing was going to feature heavily in the school, but... did, I had no idea how and in what way, shape, or form, and and what the yeah, as you said, what even the story was going to be, is there was no clear direction at this point, and and everyone's really on their sort of separate paths. Yeah, I was thinking, okay, this is like Breakfast Club; they're ripping that off clearly. But then it went in a different direction with the drug scene, and then I thought, well, we've got maybe Revenge of the Nerds with the emphasis on Karpinski, but then it doesn't look like that's happening. So yeah, I'm asking what is happening at this point. No clue where they're going, but not in a good way. <laughs> not in a uh, in a Christopher Nolan <laughs> suspenseful what's happening, but more of I can't even follow the plot. Uh, we, we get this weird hallway scene where another nerd comes up to Karpinski at his locker and asks Karpinski when he's going to do it. And uh, they take the nerdiness up another level when we see that he has a security system in his tiny locker. His locker, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's synchronized with his watch, no less. So um, the, the, the nerd keeps asking Karpinski when he's going to do it, but Karpinski never answers because uh, Rick and his goon come walking by. Uh, first of all, we don't really see this ever come back into play, right? Like, Karpinski, was he going to 
at, you know, like you had mentioned earlier with Miss Hershey, was he going to like approach Miss Hershey? What was, what was he going to do? Oh, there? See, I, I connected that to the, you know, the, the scene just after where they're taking photos of the girls in the, in the showers. I thought his buddy was okay. asking about that because I, and, and I could be wrong. The scene was pretty dark. I thought, that nerd went to join them. Okay, yeah. In the rafters, gotcha. And then the teacher caught didn't it. put that together. So we'll that we'll get to that scene right right after this little quick point here. Um, Rick's walking down uh, the hallway, and and he and Sean get into a little war of words where Sean says, uh, "One of these days, Rick. One of these days." And uh, you know, I'm, all we're missing here is you know, pow to the moon, Alice. That was, yeah. was such a wooden line of dialogue uh, <laughs> delivered by Sean there. But you know, d- does set up that you know, I know that you're, I'm on to you. I know what you're doing, and you know, you're you're gonna get your due one of these days. So that sets up a little bit of um, foreshadowing there, at least with that. So uh, yeah, Jason and Karpinski become an unlikely duo when they're paired up in photography class and tabbed with an assignment to. And as a teacher, I'm very concerned about this assignment. Um, <laughs> get a shot, get a photograph of someone's most embarrassing moment. That's the assignment that the teacher tabs them with. And uh, yeah, while, while while being framed in a wildly racist oh, scene. <laughs> yeah, a Asian that teacher was, who speaks yeah. broken English and then has with like thick Coke bottle yes. glasses. Yeah, making his his eyes gigantic, and then concludes with him making a Pearl Harbor joke yeah. about his most embarrassing moment. Yeah, very, very awkward and uncomfortable yeah, all is, around. Um, so Jason and Karpinski get paired up to get this photograph. Uh, they, of course, take to the rafters of the school above the girls' locker room to get photos of the girls showering. Um, and then now it all makes sense. I totally missed that, that point, Rob, because then when the nerdy buddy... Also, then went to the the ladder going up to the to the rafters, and uh, Coach Murphy, <laughs> the yeah. football coach, uh, shows up and uh, climbs up there and busts them uh, up in the rafters. But the weight of all three is too much for the ceiling to hold, and the three come crashing down into the locker room. Uh, the girls are shockingly cavalier about the whole thing. First of all, we finally get our hot times because there's just like gratuitous nudity. <laughs> All compiled, like a, a movie's worth, all compiled in this one scene. <laughs> the one scene. I've, I've so many questions. I mean, clearly it's a, a Porky's influence scene, but just the, the thought of these two students, like, I have an idea to capture someone's most embarrassing moment. We'll go take photos of the girls showering and then turn those in for our assignment. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> that's going to go over well. Ah, it's so awkward. And just, I mean, that whole sequence, it's close-ups of boobs and wide shots of boobs and wide shots of butts and hips. And it was just, and then Susan, um, who is Jenny's best friend, she just, when they all fall down, she just looks down and, you know, flippantly says, uh, oh, hi, coach. (laughs) Smiles like, uh, uh, you know, it's great. So, all right, we see Rick again shaking down some kids for money they owe him, which makes me think that Rick is not a very good drug dealer because yeah. he's clearly dealing on credit. Um, <laughs> so like the entire high school at this point. Yeah, yeah, and only when Dirk you know, threatens him and says, you owe me money in that weird cutaway five-second scene did we, um, 
did we see why it's important that Rick is now like go and again these are like odd inserts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just jump cuts to yeah this quick scene and then jump back to something else. Yeah. Um, so Susan talks Jenny into going to that party that Dirk invited them to, which is on a yacht. And, um, you know, not that we're having a blast anyway, but the film just full stop ends any kind of enjoyment uh, of oh, yeah. uh, when Jenny is, uh, who's who's a virgin and is uh, it has announced that, you know, she and Sean have decided to wait for marriage. She is sexually assaulted by Dirk. Um, what did you make of the 180? that the film takes here more than halfway through the film and still without a plot, mind you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I audibly said, holy shit, this movie just got dark. Like for a, a teen sex comedy to have just, you know, a, what, I mean, it's not fully shown, but I mean, I assumed at that point she was then raped yes. by Dirk. Um, yeah. It got dark fast. Cause then, you know, her subsequent treatment, by both, her family when she returns home and then, um, you know, with Sean a couple days later. Yeah. Really, really dark turn for a, a comedy of this kind. Yeah. It, it, this is the, now we're back to the after school special that you had, yeah. uh, talked about in your mix of, of, uh, of formulas here for this film. Yeah. Because then again, oddly the film switches, uh, gears and becomes a full on sports movie. Uh, but the, we're at a high school game and they just, but they just skip ahead to the final play of the game with a cutaway of the scoreboard and the most mundane PA announcer in the history of sports setting the scene. Timeout, timeout, full time. The Mounties used their last timeout with the score tied 14 all. What a game this has been with the win over the Scorpions. This will take the Mounties all the way to the playoffs. And then we get a jazzy soundtrack and a play for the ages, of course, a perfect yeah. throw from Sean Willis for a touchdown to win the game. As he's getting tackled, you know. Right, yeah. And just, the, again, we, we shift to, you know, it, this this is almost as out of place as the, um, you know, music video sequence that we saw yeah. earlier because it was just so different than the rest of the, of the film. Um, after the game, Miss Hershey's at the game, of course, and she's she's pretty pissed, right? She she confronts Sean because earlier she t- she had told him he had a D uh, in her class, and uh, he wasn't supposed to be eligible for the game, but so, you know some kind of shenanigans went on where he was able to play. So Miss Hershey warns Sean that he'd better get a tutor if he expects to pass the class. Did so? Did you miss the shenanigans that they did? I did. It's a it's a it's a blink and you'll miss it. So they cut to a, a brief scene where um, his homeroom teacher grabs a pair of binoculars and looks, and it zooms in on Sean's face with a football helmet on, and he has painted a mustache on his face. So I did see that, but what what I thought <laughs> was that that was a uh, that they'd had a, needed a stunt double for the football scene. No, that was his way of tricking everyone so he could play the game. Lord. (laughs) I saw the mustache and thought that, in fact, I rewound it. (laughs) And uh, and Uh, I was like, okay, just a terrible stunt double. Because there's also a scene in that early early scene with Principal Nichols in the the bathroom. (laughs) Didn't even talk about that. When the microphone... (laughs) The boom no, mic just, just, just drops, drops down, down and just hangs there for several seconds. 
in the scene. So I just thought I, I, I'm, I was chalking up the bad uh, stunt double with that. But oh my gosh, okay. What that ex- also explains the binoculars because I was going to mention that as well because that's something you do at a pro game, but not yeah. a high school football game. You're not stadiums aren't big enough unless you're in Texas for high school football to need binoculars to see what's going on. So that explains well, that setup there. Oh my god, that's yeah, embarrassing. I was, I was confused by the entire scene. So like when the teacher shows up and. And is like super mad at him. I was like, what, why, why is she mad? What do you know what's happening? And then I had to rewind, rewatch the scene and then think back and say, oh, that's right. She said he's failing her class. He wouldn't be able to play. And then that's when I caught the mustache that time. And I was like, oh, gosh, what has just yeah. happened? And, my, and that scene that they have in the classroom where she tells him, you know, you're getting a D. You're not doing well. She's being kind. She's trying to be helpful. He's a total dick. Oh yeah. Uh, and yeah. you know, this is supposed to be one of our one of our protagonists. This is a very confusing film where you've got several things. You know, you can't discern who the actual protagonist is. But you know, he's going after the drug dealer and stuff like that. So he's supposed to be the good guy here, and yet he's a total a-hole to his teacher he's like takes no responsibility for his poor grade even though he's always seen joking around in science class and he's like thanks a lot like he like as a teacher to have a student talk to you like that uh uh-uh like well yeah it was a a wildly aggressive scene mm -hmm. relative to everything he'd done prior to that yeah exactly so really weird so uh um okay so Maybe we get a little bit of a plot here, Rob, when uh, Sean asks... Oh, okay, so Karpinski and Jason then got three weeks' detention for their stunt with with photographing the, the girls. Uh, and so... Uh, Sean, you know, busts into detention and asks Karpinski to tutor him. And Karpinski says, well, only if you get a, get a girl to go out with me and she has to put out. So yeah. real classy there on Karpinski, um, who again was like kind of the, you know, sympathetic nerd up till this point, <laughs> who's, who's now, you know, just looking for a girl to put out. Um, yep. Now, if this is the plot, it could have been set up with about 10 minutes of exposition uh, in the beginning of the film. Yeah. We're, 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 we're what? We're... 40, Three quarters into yes. the movie at this point. And, and so Sean ends up paying Bridget. So this is a callback to um, Bridget Amherst. Uh, and what was the actress's name? Uh, you had mentioned that Kim Anderson. And yeah, she's Kim featured Anderson. on the cover. Uh, you know, just a, just a bombshell. Uh, and we even see her in the opening sequence. But she hadn't played a role up, up till this point. And again, mind yeah, you. I think there's... there's Right before the shower scene, it's shown that uh, Jenny and doesn't really care for her yeah. because of basically because of how attractive she yeah, is. Yeah, jealous that she's got uh, yeah. the body, but Jenny says, "But I've got the brains." So yeah, but- and, and, and so in the interim, we get introduced at the start of the movie. She doesn't make an appearance until right before the shower, and then vanishes again until now. Yeah. So Sean ends up paying Bridget fifty dollars to go out with Karpinski. Um, does Sean not know that there are other kids at the school that can tutor him? Because <laughs> uh, now he's in this convoluted situation where money is being exchanged but for potential sexual favors. It just seems uh, for a, yeah. a big stretch here. It is it is ticking, you know, another sort of trope of these movies where you've got to, you know, pay someone to go out with someone else. And I, I, I thought that was going to come back later to to 
uh, blow up in his face or something, but it ended up uh, taking, you'll see taking a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. Subverting my expectations. I mean, what a movie. (laughs) Are are we under, maybe we're missing the, the, uh, the the greatness of this film. No. All right. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. so, so Karpinski and Bridget hook up, and uh, she ends up quite smitten by him and even gives Sean his money back. And then what literally was a mirror image of the Can't Buy Me Love scene with with uh, uh, now Ziggy. We're calling Karpinski Ziggy now. Um, Bridget tells Ziggy, we got to do something about your look. And then, of course, off come the glasses, the shirt gets unbuttoned, the hair gets mussed up, sunglasses go on, and he goes from totally geek to totally chic. <laughs> Immediately, other girls start, who's the new guy? Yep. Like, when did he get hot? <laughs> yep. Susan even asked Jenny at lunch, what would you do if you wanted to get Ziggy's attention? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean. Oh, poor Susan, the whole movie, just after oh. it, and uh, no one pays any attention yeah. to her. Uh, you know, I, I finally realized at this point, Rob, I was wrong in saying that there's no plot because there's like four plots happening now. I mean, we went from from All zero mini plots that could have been dealt with in, in a fraction of the time. But, right. but yes, there, there are a number. We've got Ziggy. Well, we've, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. Well, we've also passed over what's happened to Jenny in the interim where, you know, she ends up sort of getting a little bit, um, you know, when she returns home after you know being raped, her dad is nothing but angry and yelling at her. And, you know, a couple days later, Sean dumps her because he knows she went out without mm-hmm. him. And the next we see her, she's suddenly dressed entirely differently and is, you know, buying some stuff from... Yeah, she's the, the goody. She's yeah. the goody two shoes of the of the school and dresses like it and acts like it and um, yeah. We, so we've got we've got Ziggy's transformation happening. We've got Sean's battle to pass Miss Hershey's science class so he can get his scholarship to uh, Florida or Florida State, Florida which we State. find out. Yeah. Um, uh, and then we've got that complete with a study montage, which I love. Uh, but then that yes. montage <laughs> is combined with Jenny's kind of fall from. Uh, you know, slide into depression, which again, an odd combination of montages there. Um, yeah, it was it was a, a yeah, as you said, a double montage of study buddies, then switching to Jenny and Sean both being depressed, and you know the the Sean longingly looking at the phone, like, do I pick it up and call right, her? Right, right. And then, you know he doesn't, and we just see Jenny very rapidly spiraling. Yeah. To, you know, depression and changing her entire look and turning to drugs. When the music hit, I was like excited. I was like, yeah, we're going to get the study montage for Sean. And then I'm like, oh, because then we get the depressing, uh, you know, Jenny at home with the teddy bear. I mean, you know, her bed is lined with teddy bears to just hammer home her, you know, innocence. It's just oh, it's sad. Yeah. So we've got that. We've got that storyline. Jenny's uh, sexual assault, the breakup with Sean and her downward spiral. And then somehow Dirk and his flunky Rick still fit into all this uh, somehow. I'm starting to sense the inspiration for this film was just to rip off as many 80s teen films as possible (laughs) and throw them into one single film. Just a blender. Yeah. So as you mentioned, in her distraught state, Jenny goes to Rick and buys a bunch of cocaine and almost ODs in the school's theater. But Jason finds her and she gets taken to the hospital where she and Sean... Uh, reconcile and now there's Sean and Jason who are 
now best buds, um, yeah. uh, they go and beat the crap out of Rick and his goon while the whole school watches. And then in, in a scene, Sean outs Jenny by telling yeah. everyone she almost died because of the drugs she got from Rick. I'm like, oh, Sean. You... <laughs> and then he gives us the after school special lecture you know, to the entire school about... They are, you know, them all sitting back and watching, you know, this drug lord take over the school. Yep. And then another missed opportunity. No 80s clap. No. Yeah. Everybody was right there. It was the perfect time. Um, Okay. So next we go back to the bomb shelter and Dirk's band is playing and we get another feature video. Um, Are we supposed to be enjoying the music now? Because Dirk is a rapist. Yes. Uh, yet, and a drug dealer. He, he, he assaulted a high school girl not 30 minutes ago, and now we're getting a two-minute MTV-style treatment of him. So a little less enjoyable than the first time we saw the band. Uh, okay, so Sean and Jason and Ziggy sneak onto Dirk's boat in the next scene. And so I guess the concert's over because we just kind of went from... The, yeah, immediately jump cut, immediately <laughs> jump cut to, uh, and Dirk's henchmen uh, immediately captures Sean and Jason. But Ziggy, who was told to stay behind, saves the day. Um, you know, first he takes out the henchmen by putting a little you know dinghy over them, and then he comes leaping out from hiding in the hot tub, complete with a slow motion effect. Yeah, and uh, after and armed and well. armed, but what we find out is a water gun. Yeah. Uh, which he squirts into the eyes of Dirk, giving Jason and Sean just enough time to, you know, get him and contain to him. So deliver a series of knees to him. Yeah. Uh, cops are called to the boat. Uh, they thank the boys for telling them, you know, we've been looking for these punks for a long time, and the three do this little all-in hand, all hands in <laughs> thing. And what'd you Best make of the? Now. Yeah. What, what'd yeah. you make of this whole sequence here with the? Now, now it's an action film. Uh, yeah. It was just so ridiculous with the, you know, the, uh, God, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. It's like the little inner tube, he, he not inner tube, the lifesaver he Life, drops yep. on the, the henchman and kicks him overboard. But, you know, the previous scene, they show the three of them climbing out of the water onto the boat. So right. I'm like, well, can't he just do what you guys just did? And the preserver, <laughs> came, and the preserver came loose when, when came he was in the water. Up, yeah. So he could have just, right, swam right up. But. Uh, so you think that's it. This would normally be the, yeah. the, the conclusion of a movie. But wait, there's more. Uh, the next scene is such an odd one. You even referenced it oh. before we started taping today. It doesn't fit with anything in the movie. Uh, we get a, new, a whole new character. A whole new character. Um, he announces himself. He, he shows up in the principal's office. Two new characters, really, because then yeah. there's the principal's secretary as well. The they both have really thick ask accents. Um, I just said, German, and she was what? You say she was from Argentina yeah, or something? Yeah. Like that? Um, and he shows up in the principal's office saying he's looking for a leak, and there's a little gag there, which they couldn't understand what each other yeah. was saying. Is he's directed to the school's basement? He goes crawling through all the spaces. At one point, I don't you. What happened there? He lights a guy's. He, I fire. think, was looking through a hole at, at what I think we're supposed to assume is the leak, and it's a hole leading to the men's bathroom, apparently, and someone has to use the bathroom and farts and, you know, fart and a, and a lighter. You get a, a flamethrower, and, yeah, a hole. I thought for a second, 
like there was a whole new wrinkle being added to the entire plot like because he it, it was such a, a, a over-the-top scene when he introduced himself I thought is this guy maybe one of the drug dealers and he's trying to sneak into the school by pretending to be a custodian I watched this movie on Tubi, and I legit thought Tubi had jumped to another movie. <laughs> I had to pause it and make sure I was still on the movie. That's how jarring it was. Yeah, it it yeah. It, it, it made no sense whatsoever. And it, you know, the only alternate explanation is they felt at the end we need a couple more jokes in here. Yeah. Well. So how do how do we do that? Yeah, we need to come back from the sexual assault that we. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because yeah, meanwhile, graduation is taking place in the gym. So that you get these. This is, I guess, had we known who this character was or why he was there, effective cross cutting. This is how it's supposed to be done, even though it still didn't make any sense because it was like, why is this <laughs> happening? But graduation is taking place in the school gym. Uh, everyone makes amends with their parents. Jason's dad shows up and tells him he's proud of him in a moment that might mean something had they ever revisited that. Yeah early moments of, of conflict between returns his earring to him. Yeah. 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 Um, but they never revisit it. So it really was out of place. Um, uh, uh, Jenny's dad says she's, uh, he's sorry and, and, and proud of her and everything. And just as principal Nichols salutes the students, this German engineer guy, uh, comes bursting through the stage floor with a pipe that's just shooting water everywhere. And it goes all over the kids. Water's raining down, and the kids they just start making out. Yeah, everyone starts making. Yeah, out. and uh, and and roll credits. Like yeah. what just happened? What a just again. There had to be parts of this film that were shot at different times, and they were like trying to, right? Like, there's no way this was a one cohesive script shot at one time. There's just no way. I I, I don't know. I mean. Yeah, there's plenty of evidence pointing in that direction, but I, I have no idea. You know, <laughs> as we indicated, the the director doesn't have too many credits, and and uh, you know the the film company would not make another film. So, yeah. I uh, I saw in in one of the very few reviews that I could find on this, uh, one of the 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 notations was I think that they you they had to use every shot or you know every piece of footage possible so you had mentioned maybe there was too much and they needed to cut down <laughs> i think the opposite <laughs> where maybe they needed to fill and so this is when they're like oh we're only at x amount of time we need to add in this completely random scene that makes no sense to to maybe bring it back to the wacky teen comedy that it was supposed to be and never ended up being yeah that yeah dramatically cycled away from um so let's talk about what others are saying about this film. Um, yeah. You know, like we've mentioned, uh, uh, like there was no Wikipedia page for this film. There are also no reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. So it doesn't even get a tomato meter rating. But there are plenty on IMDb. And uh, man, are they great. So uh, I just want to read a few of the reviews for this film on IMDb.com. So Please do. The, the, the first one is possibly the best because it's written by honk it's written by taco your dog it's yes. written by honk for hugs and they write i'll admit hot time at montclair high was a stretch but coming from montclair and going to montclair high it is a school filled with drugs sex and teenage drama watching the movie made me think about the high school a lot 
and it was just like it in so many ways. It was really fun to relive some old memories. In conclusion, watching the film was no waste of time. It was fun, exciting, and enjoyable. I enjoyed it a lot, and I really hope you will too. 8 out of 10 stars. Straight from a Montclair High Mountie. Eight out of ten. <laughs> Eight out of ten, and and this is an accurate representation of his or her high school experience. So, first of all, honk for hugs. I'm sorry that your high school experience was anything like was this. anything like this. And I just want to chime in for a minute too about uh, the I I I did a deep dive in research. There's two Montclair highs, and one is in Montclair. Uh, New Jersey, mm-hmm. and they are the Mounties. So this is supposedly because yeah. it's it, at the beginning of the film. It says "Welcome back, Mounties." So this oh, is oh, I missed that. Yeah, so this is supposedly okay. set in New Jersey. However, all of the lunch is is outside. All of the lockers are outside. <laughs> so this yeah. this high school is clearly uh, shot in in California or some other warm climate. No, I. I in, in a weird little message board that I found, someone claiming to have been in the movie oh. but was cut said that he had to drive down from San Diego to film his scenes and that it, you know, the movie was financed by the actual owner of the high school. And then, of course, what? the first comment was like, what? Somebody owns the high school? That's so, all very hard to believe. But it believe. lends credence that it's it's uh, in California. Well, and then I think the other um, the other Montclair High School is in California. So yeah. it's literally in Montclair, California. So you have a Montclair, New Jersey, and a Montclair, California. Did they go to Montclair, California and shoot this at Montclair, California High School, but then purport it as the New Jersey <laughs> If they did that, then more work went into thinking that thinking than the script. I think. Yeah. Um, an, an interesting trivia: I went to a Montclair Elementary School. Wow. In Massachusetts. Did, so there you go. Did you have a Rick that went around dealing drugs to everybody? <laughs> no. In I your school. A little too young at the okay. time. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So some more goodness from IMDb reviews at the graves leaves more of a stream of consciousness than a review in writing (laughs) hot times at montclair high is a good teen comedy to watch reminds me of a better time in my life when i watch it i also own the movie on dvd by the way whoa but like i was saying a big movie budget but the point is the director did his best with what little he had (laughs) for one thing them actors in the movie was their first acting job they ever had so give them a break 10 out of 10 stars oh 10 out of 10 good god what what other movies are these people watching this had to be written by someone in the movie like one of the actors possibly maybe trying to defend uh the um yeah not so uh good positive reviews of it um well okay so this last one cracks me up because it's so confusing uh, Iceman Alt writes, I am probably the most passionate person when it comes to teen movies. I absolutely love them. But this film flat out sucks. The dialogue is so cliched and awkward and the acting in general is quite poor. 
Again, I don't want to make generalizations about all the actors. As a couple, Troy Donahue and Jonathan Gorman, to be uh, to an extent, are actually passable in patches, but the film is a perfect example of the school of overacting. And what's with <laughs> and what's with the dragging three-minute music scene? Surely it could have been cut to thirty seconds. Maybe it was a time filler, considering the film was only was barely eighty minutes. My rating: one out of ten. The one is for the close-ups on Kim Anderson's bust. But here's the thing: Iceman Alt actually gave this ten out of ten stars when ranking it on IMDb. <laughs> So I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, I tend to agree with most of his uh, commentary, yeah, yeah. but except for the 10 out of 10 <laughs> stars that he actually rated it when he had to click on the star. Oh, okay. yeah, maybe he was that big of a fan of her, her uh, bust. So yeah, right there. He's like, that's all I need. It's all I needed. All I needed. All right. So we always end by asking the big question and Rob, I'm going to ask it is hot times at Montclair high worth staying up all night for. <laughs> No, I, I had substantially more fun talking about the movie and how bad it was than I did at all watching it. You know, the, just that the key moment of the assault scene was a nosedive for me and, and any enjoyment I was getting out of that movie, you know, particularly in how how it's then handled at like we, we never it's never really addressed, you know, and then they, you know, she ODs and they end up just back together and it's. It's, it's a forgotten element of the story. And yeah, it just that for me, I have trouble looking past that just dark moment of the movie that, yeah, just takes away all the, <laughs> the comedy for me. The un- you know, I, th- I think if you had just, you know, kept that scene going and had her escape. Yeah. What, the whole, you know, a cloud is lifted off the movie. Yeah. And I, yeah, I would do much more enjoying of it. And again, he was a drug dealer, so they, they still could have had the scene at the end where they get arrested and everything. Yeah. Um, the, the, the sad thing is, too, that the any semblance of a plot, that all comes after that scene. Yes. <laughs> like yeah. that, unfortunately, is the impetus for things to happen in the film that actually matter, even though, like you said, it's never really addressed. Yeah, so I have to agree. I mean, certainly if you're going to listen to this episode, it's worth a watch. But otherwise, no. You know, the the movie actually looked good. Uh, I couldn't find any information about the budget, but it had some decent locations. I mean, the school, Dirk's yacht, the bomb shelter was kind of cool looking. Um, but yeah, the, it's it's entirely uh, serviceable as a a movie of that of that era you know right. there was nothing like ultra low budget about it or awful i mean you know, some of the acting was, was pretty bad yeah. but you know a lot of them are that way you can you can survive that and, and certainly i guess if you're a you know teen sex comedy completionist you know you've got to add this to the mix <laughs> uh like yeah like our our friend ice alt whatever that was a pa- yeah, yeah. most passionate he claims to be the most passionate um but yeah the narrative is just all over the place and the film just doesn't ma- match what I suppose is the ambition of uh, Jose Altanaga. Um, you know, it's described as a coming-of-age story, but they went so over the top with characters like Karpinski, and then the the narrative was everywhere from, you know, like you had mentioned, all the different fe- feeling like Porky's to the, um, you know, melodramatic after-school or Lifetime movie. It's just not cohesive enough for me. Uh, I get what they were going for, but, you know, I think they should have honed in on one or two characters and let the other characters help tell their story. Um, 
You know, yeah. I liked once Jason, Sean, and Ziggy all got together as friends. You could have built up that throughout the film instead of having it happen right at the end. Um, yeah, I feel like there was a scene earlier with Jason and Ziggy where Jason finally asks him what his name is. Right. And and I thought, oh, okay, now we're gonna we're gonna go down the friendship path and and the ball's gonna roll. But then that just tells him his name, and you never revisit that <laughs> yep. anything. Yep. Um, yeah. So again, I praise the ambition. Um, I actually liked uh, Jason's character, the um, with the, who had the you know uh, dad who was a jerk. You know, he was the yep. bender of the group. You know, I feel like someone might have asked at some point. You know, what does the Breakfast Club look like outside of detention? And then tried to accomplish that, except this movie doesn't do that. But it's an interesting concept. Uh, you know, if you say, okay, it's, you know, it's after the detention. What's the next day look like? Uh, and and we, get, we get to see some of those characters then at their, what does Bender's home like? look like it would have looked like this but but it just doesn't stay at any one point to true to that Mm -hmm. so yeah so i'm with you this one's not not worth staying up all night for um and now i'm looking into the homework assignment you've given me and uh it's got a, a total of four reviews one five star uh one three star and Two one stars. Ooh. Now I did. <laughs> the one star says junk movie, worst movie. Oh. <laughs> I did look at the main actress, and and she looks like a promising young actress who might be going places. So maybe you'll get a nugget there with uh, with some quality acting. I'm not sure. Uh, all right, Rob, that's gonna do it for our one year radical bodacious anniversary episode. Can you believe we have twelve episodes of Still Up All Night in the can now? All right. Congratulations to us. Yes, and thanks to our listeners who have been Absolute. listening. Absolutely. We, we love you. And again, anytime you've got a movie to suggest, just Google USA Up All Night Movies and, and pick one, and we'll track it down and we'll review it for you. Um, now we have the shelf life, Rob, of a B movie in an 80s video store, I think. <laughs> so let's keep it going for another year with a new slate of classically bad films from USA Up All Night. We'll be back next month with another episode plus Rob's super mini review of Reawaken. Oh boy, I can't wait. Oh,